All right, people. Um, Evan here. Um, I just got off the phone. Well, Skype, Skype calls. I just got off Skype with um, our first returning guest to True Stories based on fiction, and that's Ron Mars. And Ron Mars and the crew at Ominous Press are um, they have a new Kickstarter for the, for the collected edition of their uh, hit book Dread Guides, which is a story. Well. I'll let Ron tell you the story of what the book is about, but I've read the book myself. It is actually a good fucking read, and I, and I highly suggest anyone in our listening audience help the guys out and go to kickstarter.com slash dreadguides. If that doesn't work, just type it. Just go to uh, kickstarter.com, and in the search bar, put in dreadguides, and it should pop right up. Um, as, as we record this, I think Ron and I were saying that they've got about two weeks left in in the campaign, so let's go ahead and uh, get that shit funded so you can get that great book in your hands. Um, so uh, Ron came back on the show and we talk about that uh, and definitely talk about the story of the book, um, what it means to have uh, your backing on this campaign for Kickstarter. Uh, we also talk about <laughs> we spend um, a few minutes talking about uh, Twitter culture and Twitter fingers. Uh, I do think that. Um, Ron Mars might be the king of comic book creator clapbacks, and we talk about that a lot on the show as well. Um, as always, the following episode of True Story Based on Fiction can and will um, contain explicit language and adult content. Listener discretion is highly advised, as always. Um, this is also a one-on-one interview with Ron Mars. Um, I have another one-on-one interview with Jeff Johnson coming out next week, one of Ron's former co-workers, so be sure to check that out. And this episode is coming out on a, a strange day for us. We typically come out on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, but because uh, I I wanted to get this out to the people as soon as possible, so as many ears as possible could hear us talk about the Dread Guides um, Kickstarter campaign. So I'm, I'm putting this shit out right the fuck now. Um, so with all that being said, make sure you go to kickstarter.com and search for the Dread Guides Kickstarter campaign and help get this uh, amazing book funded. All of the rewards are definitely worth what you pay for. And the best part about it, unlike uh, another Kickstarter or crowdfunding campaign that I funded uh, recently, we'll say, um, this book is already done. So you don't have to wait too long to get your rewards, because the only thing cop stopping you from getting it is doing the uh, funding on Kickstarter campaign. But um, lot lot more to come from from the network this summer. But until then, enjoy the following episode. We've got exactly ten minutes to decide if you really want to know. You have filled this city with your fucking Here today, but I'm doing a one-on-one interview with a person who has a very important Kickstarter. This launching, or this has already launched, and that's Ron Mars. How's it going today, Ron? Good, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. Although, uh, inside baseball, Ron and I already had a conversation about how we were doing 20 seconds before I I said that on the show. (laughs) And we both decided it was too hot outside. (laughs) Yes, Um, my fan is not cutting in. It's not cutting it in my studio. Um, but last time we spoke, you kind of talked about uh, at that point you were doing the Kickstarter with uh, Daryl Banks. Yeah, Daryl and I did the uh, Harkins Raiders Kickstarter last year, I guess, um, which uh, which went well, which got funded, and Daryl is uh, has just finished. He had some, you know, he had the death in his family, and he was in the hospital with the flu, and mm. so we're a little we're a little delayed on finishing it um, more than we wanted to be. But sometimes real life sticks its uh, sticks its head in the noose, and um, you know cause you to be a little later than you want um so that's that's getting buttoned up now we're getting the last color pages in looks great um so so the one we have now is for an oversized hardcover deluxe version of dread gods which is the ominous press miniseries um from a concept by bart sears that tom ranny and i did um uh like a year and a half ago for idw Mm -hmm. and uh 
you know, we put the single out, single issues out through IDW, uh, but now we're doing the Kickstarter to fund the printing of a, about 200 page version of the story that has uh, an extra 10 page exclusive story in it. Plus, you know, obviously the entire miniseries cover gallery and about 60 to 70 pages of completely new sketchbook material, wow. character designs, kind of behind the scenes stuff um, from both Tom and Bart. Um, so this is kind of we're calling it the Olympian edition. So this <laughs> nice. is the this is sort of all all of the bells and whistles edition of the miniseries printed at uh, eight by 12. So it's a nice oversized. Oh, hardcover. wow. Wow. Very nice. Um, so for those who may not know, could you kind of run down the story of Dread Gods? Because it's a very cool story. I like how you took the gods, then we kind of flipped the whole thing around. So for those who don't know, what is Dread Gods about? Uh, Dread Gods is kind of a science fiction slash fantasy epic set uh, set in the future, set in a post-apocalyptic landscape. Um and the main characters are really uh, are gods in kind of this uh, Olympic sort of Mount Olympus kind of paradise. Um, Zeus, Hera, um, Ares. It's a it's a group of gods that are very much like the Greek gods. And the population in this post apocalyptic hellscape uh, plugs into a daily entertainment featuring the adventures of these gods. Um, yes, yes. It's, it's a, it's, it's, you know, it's bread and circuses for the masses. Uh-huh. Um, but, but the gods themselves um, start to figure out that what they believe to be reality, this bucolic paradise where they, where they, you know, live, love, have battles, have, these amazing adventures is maybe not the reality is maybe not real. And so they start to piece together the fact that, that um, what they've always believed to be reality might not be. Uh, And in, in the post-apocalyptic world, um, uh, uh, a man in a wheelchair named Carver uh, plugs into his daily feed and, realizes that maybe the gods are in trouble and they need help. So he takes it upon himself to try to find them. Uh, so those twin stories uh, sort of um, run in parallel and mm-hmm. then ultimately slam into each other. So the the short version is uh, what happens when gods find out they're actually monsters <laughs> and, and what happens if they if they escape from their containment. So that's really what this first story arc is about, and um, I had a I had a ball working on it, uh, and I honestly think it's some of the best, if not the best, work that Tom Randy's ever done. And, and Tom and I have known each other for for almost thirty years, um, and have worked together uh, on uh, on and off. Uh, so when this when this concept came up for for Ominous Press, we really felt like. Um, you know, we started kicking around ideas for who who was going to draw this, and you know, my my list consisted of one name, and it was Tom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, thankfully, he was he was available. He was he was uh, happy to come in and work with us on this, and I just think he's done you know done incredible work. Um, the colorist by an Indian colorist named Nanjan Jamberry, who works with us on a lot of different projects at Ominous, and really just gorgeous stuff as well. Um, so it's a it's a series I'm really proud of, and I'm, and I'm, I'm very thankful that we're that we're going to do this edition um, right. so that we can show it off in in what really is kind of the best form we can we can make it. Yeah, and um, the thing that I like I like most about Dread Guys is the fact that it it merges different genres together in a very unique way and a very entertaining way. And uh, in ways that I don't think we've seen much of, because it takes kind of like a reality TV s concept, like you were saying, and then like um, the fact that the, like the guys don't know what they really are, but they're kind of getting a hint to it. There's so much going on. Then it takes like the Greek. I mean, that, that's not Greek, is it? Yeah, I get my guys confused. Yeah, we're we're sort of patterning these after the Greek gods, Greek and certainly gods, the, right. the the names are. Are are the Greek derivation and also some of the some of the Greek 
sort of epic heroes like Achilles are right. are in the mix as well. It's very cool. Um, so at Omnit at Omnit Press as well as um your other adventures, how many Kickstarters have you successfully funded? Um. I, I think the easy answer is all of them. They've all funded <laughs> there we go. successfully. Um, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, I mean we've done we've done a number of Kickstarters at at Ominous, um, both because it you know it, it helps with the budget certainly. Um, it right. it uh, it allows you to sort of pre-sell your pre-sell your project to to an audience that is willing to um, that is willing to uh, go on the journey with you. Um, and, and get what is, you know, usually what we do is the, is we sort of do the deluxe package on Kickstarter. Um, that's how we did, uh, Beast of the Black Hand volume one, which is by me, uh, Paul Harding is the creator and Matthew Dow Smith, uh, drew it, Niraj Manan colored it. Um, that's kind of a diesel punk post-World War One espionage monster story. Um, so we did that as an oversized kind of European style hardcover. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I, everything we've done has funded, which is, which is awesome. It's a, you know, hugely gratifying, um, process. I mean, you certainly, you certainly put in a lot of hours and a lot of work kind of maintaining the, the sure. Kickstarter. Um, but it's, it's a great tool to, like I said, you know, fund the production, but also, um, kind of spread the word about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a great, it's a great marketing tool as well as a great fundraising tool. Yeah. And, um, to that point, what are, uh, cause as you said, um, all of your campaigns that have been funded and, um, they, they, they've all been re- relatively on time as well. So what are the, um, attributes that a creator must have in order to have a, a successful Kickstarter campaign, as well as the backend shit to make sure that people get their, um, their, uh, rewards? Well, it's you look, I, I guess the, you know, the, the road to, um, you know, the road to Kickstarter success is strewn with the wreckage of a lot of non Kickstarter success. <laughs> right. Uh, but you learn it, you learn a little bit each time you do one. Um, you get a little bit better at it each time you do it. Um, thankfully for, uh, for ominous, we have, you know, we have some staff in place that, that helps with the Kickstarters that maintains the Kickstarter site, does the updates, um, and even more importantly, on the back end, we have fulfillment staff that, uh, you, you know, basically we have people that uh, that fulfill the the rewards that, you know, literally pack the boxes and mm-hmm. and send the stuff out. Um, I think I mean, I think doing a Kickstarter solo just by yourself would be a huge mountain to climb. For sure. uh, I am I am forever um, impressed by anybody that really does this solo because it's a, it's a huge amount of time and effort just to get to the point of getting the thing funded. Mm-hmm. And then the other half of the starts that, you know, <laughs> then the other half of, of, you know, going through backer kit and getting the addresses and packing the boxes and shipping them off. Um, there's, there's a lot of work that goes into it that has nothing to do with the work that you put into the book that, that you're producing. You know, I mean, thankfully for, for Dread Gods, all the material's done. Yeah, right. the, the 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 complete story's done. The extra ten page story's done. Um, we're just in the process of designing up the last few pages of the of the sort of DVD bonus content that's that's filling the last seventy pages or so. Mm. Um, so so thankfully that aspect of it is is all out of the way. Um, but I, I think you know I, I think the number one ingredient that I've found doing a Kickstarter that helps you succeed is time. You know, there's no substitute for putting in hours every day on the campaign, spreading the word, doing interviews. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, I found it's a process of not necessarily cajoling people into pledging. Just the, the number one function is to spread the word. Um, uh, long as, as long as you, people find out about what you're doing, enough of them pledge to, to make your, make your book a reality. Um, so that I think the main thing is to just 
try to tell as many people as possible. And then the, the percentage of them that you tell that go to the Kickstarter site and check it out and actually do a pledge usually gets you, get you over the top as long as you're not asking for a, you know, for a crazy amount of money. Right. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's like most things, it's kind of a one customer, customer at a time, uh, process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, how long is your Kickstarter going until? Like, um, what's the final day? Uh, I think we got about two weeks left. Two weeks um, left. Okay. Maybe uh, 13 days, I believe, from uh, when we're recording this, uh, <laughs> which is Friday the 5th. Um, so we got about two weeks left. We got we got a ways to go, but I'm feeling pretty good about where we are. Um, it's um, you know it's it's always a process of kind of figuring out you know how how to put the campaign together what extras you want to offer, you know, you, you want to have, you know, you want to have an, a, a kind of a sweet spot package um, that is going to be your main, you know, your main offering. Uh, and, and for this one, it's, it's the, you know, we're, we kept it pretty simple. Um, mm-hmm. It's just the, there, there are, you know, original art rewards and, and, um, some posters and, you know, other aspects that you can, that you can add on. But the main reward is, is the $40, uh, oversized hardcover. Right. It's, it's, it's pretty cut and dried, pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so obviously you want to, you know, you want to get as many of those pledges coming in for, for that, uh, for that particular level as you can. Yeah. And that probably, as you were kind of um, saying, that probably makes, the average Kickstarter a lot more successful in the back end as well. Cause yeah, cause there are a lot of Kickstarters that offer a lot of shit. That's only like, there's only like one or two people in the campaign that makes it pretty much impossible to get the main product out. And there's 17 different tiers of, of shit you can get with the uh, on pledges. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, um, you want to, you want to strike that balance between having enough, enough things that you're offering that, that people can kind of, you know, kind of browse a little bit and figure out what they want. Um, but also you have to stop short of letting the thing grow into a monster that, um, that, you know, I, I, sometimes I look at a Kickstarter page, uh, for somebody's, for somebody's campaign. And I just like, I have no idea where to even start, you know? So, you know, I'm, I'm always a huge fan of, of keep it simple, stupid. Uh, you know, just, just, uh, put, put what you're, you know, what you're offering front and center, include the rest of the, you know, the rest of the stuff as, as add-ons or, or, you know, dual packages and, um, and, you know, don't, don't get overly complex. Don't have the, you know, don't have the campaign scroll be a mile long. Uh, (laughs) you know, I think, I think a lot of times that's why campaigns fail is you're just too damn confusing and there's, there are too many options. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, I, I'm all for, I'm all for simple and certainly we, you know, we did that with, with this campaign, I think we've got, you know, we've got the, we've got the book, we've got a, uh, a large format poster of all of the Bart Sears connected covers. Oh, wow. That on the single issues, we've got some signed single issues. Um, we've got the package of our, uh, black book, um, art books that, uh, I believe we've got, um, Bart Sears art book, Andy Smith art book, Jim Starlin art book, Graham Nolan art book mm. and the newest one will be uh, the Daryl Banks art book that's that's coming with the Harkins Raiders fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the stuff that we've some of the products that we've already printed, like the art books, um, are always included in the campaign because it's a chance for people to, you know, to pick up something they might have missed previously. For sure. And um, I was going to ask you next. But it just escaped me. Give me just a second. Oh. <laughs> uh, wow, I, I definitely love. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, um, this is kind of from a personal standpoint, but I've always wondered this. So the book, the book, and the entire Ominous Press line pretty much has a deal with um, IDW. So how does it work when you guys go off and print your own hardcover? Is that like something like you guys put in your deal up front? Is something that they had to discuss with 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 idw yeah we have a we have a really good relationship with idw and we do you know we do the single issues through them because that's the you know that's the direct market is really the appropriate place to do your um to do your single issues uh 
And, you know, they have obviously huge core competency into selling the stuff into the market as single issues. Um, and then so what we do is sometimes sometimes we'll do something first as a hardcover, like Beast of the Black Hand. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, those will probably be single issues and probably be through IDW. Um, but, the you know, the only place you can get the the oversized European style hardcover is is through the Kickstarter and through our store. Um, so, um, so the, the package that we're doing now for Dread Gods is, is kind of the collector's edition. So we're, you know, we did the sort of the mass market stuff through IDW. This is the, this is the collector's edition. If you want, if you want that oversized hardcover, you know, sort of lavish package, um, we kind of did the same thing with. With Demigod, which, you know, yes. we did single issues through um, through IDW and then did um, did an oversized hardcover uh, via Kickstarter mm-hmm. of those issues. But with with extras, with some, you know, with a, a, another 10 page extra story, um, some some backup material. So, um, you know, it's really, you know, I, I think. One of the things that we've talked about at Ominous is, is to is to produce the thing once, whatever your whatever your story mm. is, produce the thing once and then put it in, in as many different packages as possible. Yes, um, yes, that's sell it as sell it as single, sell it as a trade paperback, sell it as a hardcover, sell it as digital, so that so that you're ultimately providing the customer with a bunch of options. You're 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 putting it out there in multiple versions at multiple price points so that uh, people can kind of pick what works best for them. Mm. Um, you know, some people want, you know, some people want the, you know, the, the collectible limited edition Neil Adams cover for dread gods. Number one, you can get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you can actually get that via the campaign as well. Um, so there's, you know, there's the stuff for the collector's market. There's the stuff for the, you know, for the hardcover collector's market. There's the stuff for just readers. Um, there's stuff for people that just want to, uh, you know, don't want to take up any more shelf space and just want digital. <laughs> um, so, so that's one of the things we always keep in mind when we tackle these things is how do we, you know, how do we make it once, but make that, make that product transportable to different platforms. That is actually remarkable, and that is what the best brand, brands are doing these days. Because, uh, like, say with the Marvel Legends line, well, like, uh, like Marvel Toys, for example, they have a Marvel Legends, and then the other one, and then they have something for every price point. So then, like, they have different figures, although they do make different figures, but they but they have something for everyone. Because, like you said, sometimes people don't want people don't need like a a hundred dollar oversized book they just want to put it on their ipad so like yeah because i've got two bookshelves that are full of books right now but yeah so it's having something for everyone is something that people should definitely know about ominous press and to that point um will there be a second series for dread gods and also on top of that what what else can we expect from ominous press in the future um yeah i mean we hope to do a we hope to do a sequel miniseries um, probably next year by the time we, you know, we get to it, right. um, you want to do certainly one of the things we've learned in, in doing any of this stuff is, you know, best, um, best laid plans usually go awry <laughs> and, you know, um, you know, like for example, Bart Sears, uh, Bart Sears got in a car accident, uh, oh, wow. not, not last year, but the year before that, you know, knocked him off the drawing board for, you know, for a good long while. Um, and so some of the, some of the Dread God single issues, uh, were actually, were actually late coming out because we didn't have Bart's covers and mm-hmm. there was no way he could produce them, but we had solicited them already. Mm. So you know, so you just wait until they can get, they can get done. Um, so I think what we what we would like to do um, going forward on a lot of this stuff is just just have the whole thing done. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's and that's obviously one of the places where Kickstarter comes in and and helps. Uh, you know that that funding um, that you can get via Kickstarter helps you finish the damn thing <laughs> before you ever put it out. Um, instead of you know instead of promises of 
of uh, you know, oh well, you know, this this will be ready, uh, this will be ready in three months. Um, it's easy, it's a whole hell of a lot easier to go about it and say this is this is done now. Mm-hmm. This is it's ready to go to press now. So like with with Dread Gods, um, hopefully the Kickstarter funds, and you know, shortly after it funds. The entire book will be ready to go to press. Um, the files will, be, you know, the files will be ready. We'll, you know, we'll pre pre press proof them, and and then, um, you know, and then it's really just a matter of of getting the book on the press, uh, getting the books printed, and then shipped to our um, to our office in uh, Buffalo and sent out. Um, that's that's how we that's how we've done the the, the Jim Starlin Kickstarter, for mm-hmm. instance, uh, uh, the, the entirety of the Jim Starlin, you know, Dreadstar volumes one, two and three omnibus is all done. It's it's mm-hmm. already everything. You know, we've done press proofs. I just did another press proof this week on the actual on the actual guts that got shipped here um, from China for me. Uh to go through and you know and and of course I found a couple of mistakes we had to fix. Oh. Uh, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. Um, but um, but but honestly, the you know I found that the the biggest a lot of times the biggest delay you have is waiting for people to to send in their um, their backer kit responses so that you have their address and you know like so that you know what you're supposed to be sending them. Right. Um, that that can actually take longer than. Um, than getting the damn book printed. We, you know, we're, we've got volume one of, of the Dreadstar Omnibus printed and in house. We're just waiting for people to send in their, um, send in the, the remainder of their backer kit profiles so we can get everything shipping. And we expect that next week, actually. So, um, you know, like I said, we've got the, we've got the Dreadstar Omnibus volume one in stock. We've got volumes two and three ready to go on the press. Um, we're doing uh, we're doing more. Andy Smith and I are doing more demigod issues that'll be out through nice. IDW. Um, we're started on Beast of the Black Hand Volume Two. Nice. Uh, we haven't kickstarted it yet, but that's definitely coming. Um, and we've got more art books lined up. Bart Sears is um, as of next week. He should be done with uh, drawing Powerful Heroes Volume Two. Um, done with all of the, the redrawing and, and production work on that. Um, so, you know, obviously we, we want to strike the balance between um, between overwhelming the market with too much product and, and not having enough out there. So right. <laughs> uh, we've got some stuff. We've, we've got some stuff lined up. Uh, we're really happy with our relationship with, with Jim Starlin. And we've got some other things that we're talking about with Jim Um so it's um you know it's we are a we are a small band of brothers and sisters so there's not you know there's not a huge number of people um around to to you know to do everything it's not like we've got a you know staff of two dozen uh, but we've got enough people that we can we can get this stuff moved forward little by little every week and and you know get our get our projects to market very nice so uh shifting gears for a little bit let's talk about twitter um what are your current thoughts on the state of twitter um you know man i i think you really you 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 harvest the crop that you cultivate on twitter uh, <laughs> to great extent um and and unfortunately cultivating your your crops mean you know you got to block and mute a lot of idiots uh, <laughs> and, and you know because if if you want that you know if you want somebody you know chirping some stupidity at you there's there's more than enough of that out there um sure. there is plenty of that to go around um and it's it's a it's an unending everlasting resource uh <laughs> but i think ultimately to to you know to make it a worthwhile experience you just have to shut those people up and yeah. whether you do that through blocking them or muting them or whatever your personal style is, I think, you know, that's a necessity. You have to, you know, you have to cultivate the garden that you want. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I often do once in a while, I'll, <laughs> you know, once, in a, once in a while we'll drag somebody out into the town square and make fun of them because they need it um, and then mute them. But, <laughs> but, ultimately, uh, but ultimately I, I think it's a, you know, terrifically, Overall, it is a terrifically rewarding experience because the vast majority of people that you interact with are 
uh, I think, kind and generous and knowledgeable and um, and, you know, really makes the the interactions worthwhile. Um, mm-hmm. You just you just can't let yourself be overwhelmed by the neg- negativity and stupidity, um, because if you uh, if you don't do something to to make sure you're not seeing that stuff, that those people don't have a have an avenue to um, to interact with you. I think that the negative negativity can obviously be overwhelming, but, you know, I think you have to uh, <clears throat> block and mute with, with absolute, um, a- absolute enthusiasm. You know, <laughs> I, you know, I, I usually have a, have a, you know, two strikes rule. Uh, okay. If, if somebody, you know, if somebody tweets something stupid or just antagonistic at me, I'll usually let it go and let it, slide off my back and not respond. If you do it twice, you're gone. Yeah. You know, if it's, you know, everybody, you know, everybody is entitled to, you know, a moment of, a moment of peak or a moment of, uh, of, uh, you know, too much passion. But if it's a pattern, well, <laughs> you know, out of the pool you go. <laughs> yeah. Ron, I asked that because of all of the curators that, that we follow, your um, as a kid say, clapbacks are some of the most eloquently written and hilarious ones I've ever seen. <laughs> so, are those just like off the top of your head, or do you take time but take take apart every part of their dumb shit that they say to you? Well, you know, I'm a writer. <laughs> you know? Don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Or, or as I've told people before, don't you know? Don't bring a broken toaster to a knife fight. Uh, <laughs> um, so you know, I, I uh, is is there a part of me that that really enjoys drawing and quartering somebody that that needs it? Oh, absolutely. Um, but more often than not, I just I just let it go. Um, but yeah, if you you know, I'm a writer. I was a journalist. Uh, you know, if you're gonna come, you know, if you're gonna come at me and be stupid. Um, you know, obviously, you know, don't want none, don't start none. <laughs> exactly. And that isn't to say that you can't take criticism. I think it's important that everyone, especially in, in our country, um, to have the ability to, to know that everyone's not going to like everything that you do, and that's fine. And it's even fine to comment on, on if you didn't like something. But when people are just, as a kid, say, trolling or just trying to be mean just to be mean, that's when you got to come out and kind of, as, um, a quote that I saw from someone is uh, the opposite of the the uh, Michelle Obama quote, which she said, "When they go low, we go high." I say, "When they go low, I take it to the floor." Yeah, well, it's, it's <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, random stupidity you can ignore. Uh, I always feel like if, if somebody's you know just just being an asshole, right? Right. Uh, that that to a certain extent you have a duty to expose that person because mm-hmm. hopefully that means that means the rest of the audience sees it and avoids that asshole as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there's a, um, you know, the, the, the Twitter mob mentality can be very ugly and very misplaced, mm-hmm. but once in a while you want, you know, you want torches and pitchforks because somebody <laughs> deserves it. Yes. Right. Yes. There, 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 there aren't that many misunderstood monsters uh, you know, on, on Twitter, most of the time it's somebody asking for it. Exactly. Um, and, and, and when they're asking for it, I'm more than happy to oblige. <laughs> I'm, you know, I, I sit at, I sit at my desk all day anyway. I might as well entertain myself. <laughs> and, and, and you entertain the masses. Cause, uh, the, again, like the thing that I like about all of your, um, Clapbacks is the fact that you basically you base it off of what they say and then you prove them wrong as you're dressing them down. So you're not like you're just saying, well, well, if I'm dumb, uh, you're stupid. Like you're actually getting, you're actually getting to the nucleus of what they're saying and you're just collapsing their points. Well, I think to a look, I you know I was a I was a journalist for a bunch of years. I worked at a on a daily newspaper, you know, while I was in college and for. Hell, four or five years after college, uh, until I started writing comics. Um, so I, you know, that's that's my training. 
<laughs> that's and that's how I learned to write was, you know, was um, was journalism. And in journalism, facts matter. Right. Um, facts are, you know, facts are not um, buyable and sellable com- commodities. Facts are absolute. And if and if, you know, you know, we live in an era where where facts are sort of um, malleable. Right. Uh, or at least many people see facts as malleable. The, right. the, you know, the the lunatics from QAnon who are waiting for you know JFK <laughs> Jr. to show up yesterday on the National Mall. Um, <laughs> you know, that stuff that I that my brain just doesn't wrap itself around. Mm-hmm. Like, like if you if you can't accept climate change as <laughs> as a man made thing that's dangerous, you know, like that's a fact. That's, you know, that we're not, this is not debatable science. This is not, <laughs> this is not, um, you know, choose your own adventure. This is, you know, this is the way it is. Water's wet, you know, the burner <laughs> on the stove is hot, you know. And, and so when somebody, you know, when somebody starts spouting stuff that simply isn't true, oh, you know, comic sales are down and the, and the, you know, even this morning, some, you know, some nitwit was in a thread talking about how the, you know, how the comic industry is swirling the toilet um and and about to about to you know fall apart you know which obviously i've heard since i got into comics right. you know 30 years ago right? right right um you know i've i've seen this movie before um but you, you know there there's easily verifiable factual information to show you how much comics are selling and show you that comic sales are up Yes. You know, so if you're just going to, you know, if you're going to show up and be an idiot about that and want your version of reality to be accepted, I'm not going to take it. You know, I'm <laughs> not going to, I'm, you know, you, you can wallow in your own ignorance. That's fine. That's your choice. But don't share it with the rest of the class and expect everybody to go, oh, okay. Yeah. But, um, see, the, the, the thing is that there, there is, is another popular saying, um, that the kids are saying, uh, is that nobody cares about the facts when a lie is more, entertaining which is to a certain extent very true in terms of how oh, people act true. online <laughs> it's always true look at who our president is right. <laughs> or, or i should say the president because he's right. certainly not my president <laughs> uh, but you know yeah we we live in a you know we live in an era where you can find your own reality yes you can you can you can make your own reality and go somewhere online and have it parroted back to you so that the you know so that your comfort level with your own reality is is increased uh-huh. um it doesn't make it real you know it, do, <laughs> it doesn't mean that jfk jr is coming back and is going to be trump's running mate in 2020 <laughs> um but there are certainly people that absolutely wholeheartedly believe that and and really you can't argue them out of it um, no you can't it's it's you know a lot of that stuff is um is presented with such religious fervor that, you know, that's, I think that's the other sort of overall lesson from, from Twitter is that, um, you can't have a, there, there's a lot of people you can't have a rational discussion with. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. (laughs) You you know, like the, you know, somebody was, um, somebody was, you know, utterly convinced, uh, that, that, um, Antifa was was uh, selling or, or was throwing milk sh- cement mix milkshakes in Portland, um, <laughs> and you know it was just you know, it was just more kind of delusional stuff mm-hmm. that you know somebody saw it was like a coconut cream milkshake and it looked a little thick and they went oh that 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 looks like cement mix, um, <laughs> which which I don't know if you actually mix cement it's gray so it's not. Like it doesn't look like a vanilla milkshake, <laughs> um, but you know, but but this guy was utterly convinced that that was real, and that he got chemical burns from cement milkshakes, and that cement. Yeah, I mean, it's just like okay, if that's what you believe, I you know, it's not true, it's not real, but if you're going to believe that, you have to go over there, you have to go yeah. onto your own island and believe that, and not be out here with the rest of us rational people. <laughs> Um, so two more questions kind of pertaining like to Twitter and just like a, a, a couple like just quick shot ones. Um, this is kind of pertaining to Twitter. Um, I'm under the belief that Alex Jones is just like basically Stephen Colbert, but the opposite version. What are your thoughts on that? 
Um, Alex Jones is just a crazy person. <laughs> I don't think yeah. he is. I think he's crazy like a fox. Well, I think, uh, and I, I know people that like live, you know, live in Texas, live actually even live in Austin that, you know, saw Alex Jones as a, um, uh, as like a, you know, basic cable nut job mm-hmm. who, who was, you know, sort of putting on this persona of, you know, crazy conspiracy guy to get, to get viewers and it, sort of everybody was in on the joke, right? But as he got more popular, and I think this happens a lot. As he got more popular, he started to get high on his own supply and <laughs> and started to, you know, started to go with what, you know, the the stuff that he was doing as a gag suddenly became more real. Um, and now I think he's, you know, I think he's con- convinced of his own righteousness and importance. And so, it, you know, it, it ends up being uh sort of shot through with with ego and delusion and and the people that then plug into him mm-hmm. take it even farther you know they're, they're the they're the real nut jobs i mean that's the look, I, I, understand, I understand a grift right like mm-hmm. like i can i get that like i get that alex jones is is basically scamming people i get that that you know Jerry Falwell Jr. is scamming people and they're getting rich off of dummies. It's a, it's a, it's a time honored tradition that, that, you know, you scam the rubes in the crowd. Yeah. That's, that's how it, that's how it goes. Rush Limbaugh is scamming the rubes in the crowd. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they're getting wealthy off of it. You know, it's, it's the same thing as, you know, uh, tent preacher revivalists, um, in the 20s and 30s in the Dust Bowl coming into town and hoovering up donations mm-hmm. is the same mm-hmm. thing as televangelists on TV now. You know, the guy who, who um, you know, didn't want to fly commercial because there could be demons in that metal tube with you. So he got, a, he got his followers to buy him a, <coughs> buy him a, um, a private jet. Um, it's all the same stuff. Like it's all the same grift. Comicsgate is the same grift as mm-hmm. as you know a televangelist or Alex Jones. You know they they find they they find what people will plug into and believe, and then they milk them for money because they believe it. Um, it's um, you know the the the, the reprehensible thing, uh, particularly about Alex Jones, is that he whips his 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 followers up into. Uh, a froth about made up shit like like um the frog turning like school kids school. gay that's like the craziest one besides yeah, like well, you know that's you know but that's i mean i think most people look at that stuff and go well that's just crazy that's just you know <laughs> that's right. that's the alex jones version of showbiz but the the reprehensible stuff is the you know Newtown school massacre being a fake right. and that those kids aren't dead and, and, and harassing the parents who had to bury their children. Um, yeah. You know, that to me is the stuff that should get people like Alex Jones staked out on an anthill and covered in honey. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I hope, I, I hope the lawsuit that's moving forward against um, Alex Jones and Infowars, I, I hope turns him into a penniless pauper because he deserves to be, um, you know, preaching his nonsense on a street corner somewhere uh, for, for nickels. Uh, So, I I mean, there's, there's a point where all this stuff, where all this sort of train wreck, um, train wreck spectacle that we giggle at, you know, again, the, the people that believed yesterday that JFK Jr. was coming back. um, (laughs) It's, you know, it's funny. It's very easy to, to make fun of those people. Um, But, Though that audience is gullible enough to believe a lot of stuff and to yeah. to have to have stuff rammed down their throats um, that ultimately hurts other people that, you know, the you know, the people that, you know, the 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 you know, the 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 people on the poverty line that think Donald Trump actually gives a crap about them in any exactly. way, shape or form <laughs> exactly. are, are are sort of the the you know, uh, patient zero for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, because he's given them, 
because he's given them uh, a target, because he's given them, um, you know, the, the the notion that it's okay to blame brown people for your woes. Um, they're, you know, they're they're ride or die with him, uh, even though economically they're the ones that are going to feel the bite the most when exactly. when when the when the grift that he's pulling right now um comes in you know comes home to roost um, mm-hmm. it's um you know ultimately it's you know the the kind of stuff that that Alex Jones does on on infowars and and you know all credit to Facebook and Twitter for for starting to dump these people because um you know Yes, you have a right to free speech, but you don't have a right to a private platform. You know, you don't have a exactly. right to Twitter. You don't have a right to Facebook. You, you know, nobody. The government is not um, is not uh, telling you you can't say what you want to say. But a private company is telling you you can't say it on our platform. If exactly. you want to, you know, if you want to, you know, preach that craziness and that divisiveness and that sort of, um, you know, when you get into into stuff like, uh, you know, alt-right and white supremacists uh, wanting these platforms, wanting YouTube as a platform. Um, those are private entities. Those aren't, that's not the government. You know, you can, you can go preach, you know, preach your, you know, your crazy racist shit on a street corner somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, the Klan can go have a meeting in a public space because that's your free speech right being protected. Um, you don't have a right to put a video on Facebook or Twitter uh, or YouTube if the people that make those decisions deem you to be um, deem you to be a, a threat to the community. Right. Um, and frankly, we've 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 let it go far too long. Far far um, too long. Um, and and this sort of stuff takes root. Um, so you know, I, I'm you know. Freedom of speech does not mean freedom from consequences. Um, exactly. If you want, if, uh, if you want to hold your, you know, your racist white power uh, rally out in the streets, you are you are guaranteed to be able to do that because of the First Amendment. Um, but you also suffer the consequences of of your actions. And if and if the consequences of your actions are getting uh, splattered in the face with a milkshake. M's <laughs> the breaks, man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and then you make a really good point because uh, while I do think that initially Alex Jones was was a troll, but at a certain point he he, he started to believe his own hype, and then he started to get a little deluded. And then when it starts to affect the actual populace, when, when people who believe what he's saying are being hurt by, it, and when he's going to the point where we're like the. Uh, Sandy Hook shooting, like saying it's a fake, that's when it goes too far. But overall, I still do contend that initially he was a troll. He was the uh, the far right Stephen Colbert. Yeah, um, you know, uh, just with a you know much bigger dose of crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, as as often happens with this stuff, uh, you know, guys, and it's almost uniformly guys unless you want to bring in somebody like you know Laura Ingraham or or yeah. one of the believers on Fox um they you know they they get some notoriety they get some money and and eventually they start to be convinced of their own genius uh, exactly you know i i you know i much prefer a grifter who knows he's an actual grifter and will actually <laughs> you know will actually tell you that I mean, there's there's a there's a certain honest honesty about being a grifter and admitting it. There's 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 no honor in in you know starting to think that uh, uh, the 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 bullshit that you're selling is actually real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, to that point, uh, the last question that I'll kind of ask about tw- the whole Twitterverse is: so what what do you as a comics professional and and in an industry that is relatively small do when the people who are trolling or believing their own hype because people are kind of backing them on it um are are your co-workers in a sense like you said earlier like with the confiscate guys 
do you kind of take them off to the side? Like, hey, you're talking some really crazy shit, man. Or are there also people who say, fuck it, they're coming out to the um, town square, and then I got to dress them down? Um, I Look, you, you live and die by your own sword. Uh, if you're going to be an idiot and um, embrace that standpoint, um, uh, and certainly, you know, if you're going to be an idiot and embrace that standpoint, you're not you're not getting hired in comics anymore. Um, mm-hmm. If if you are if you are an embarrassment uh, to a publisher, uh, the publisher doesn't know you work. Uh, it's um, you know, look I, again. I, I go back to the you know one strike rule. If if somebody um, <clears throat> if somebody says something that's inappropriate or thoughtless or harmful. Um, look, that happens to everybody. Um, you, you learn from the experience and you don't do it again. Um, if you do that sort of thoughtless, um, hateful, um, uh, kind of stuff and you keep doing it and it becomes a pattern over again, that's you, that's, that's the kind of person you are. And, and you know, the, the comics gay guys are the you know are the biggest example. Look, they and uh, look if if uh, if a handful of those guys found found a way to grift the other bunch of them for you know crappy comics that either uh, come out and aren't very good or you know seems like in some cases that never come <laughs> out. Um, you know that's okay with me. I don't care if you know you just want to you just want to you know. Push around, uh, push around piles of money uh, to to a handful of dudes uh, and be, you know, you know, be a cash cow. That's fine by me. I don't <laughs> care where you spend. Um, yeah, I, yeah, because uh, I, I feel like it goes back to the uh, to my thought, which is this: um, people on both sides of the aisle buy comic books, and people now, even if people more on the left are running these companies which isn't always true either because uh ike is a staunch well he's far right but even if the guys are in the actual offices or are left but people on both sides of the aisle buy comics so and i think that uh, like a lot of these comic gate guys are just saying that to find an excuse to why they aren't getting jobs anymore um well, publishers publishers don't owe you a job. You're a freelancer. That's the way it works. Um, people get jobs and don't get jobs for all sorts of reasons. But I can tell you one thing is that if you're consistently an asshole, you're not going to get a job. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's ultimately a whole other discussion. But the whole, oh, you know, I, I'm blacklisted by publishers and I can't get – you know, I I can't get work because of the you know the the liberal bias against conservatives and comic. Look, if you can do your job and do it well, and you don't cause problems for the publisher, you'll get a job. Exactly, exactly. Um, if also, you're going to be a if you're going to be a yeah. jackass and you're going to be difficult to work with, and you're going to run your mouth online and cause problems and embarrassment for the publisher, Boom. you're not going to get a job. But and, and you know it also plays into the sort of uh, the wannabe aspect of a, a segment of the audience that that either doesn't have the talent to get hired, doesn't have the the drive to do the work to get hired. Uh, you know, it's a lot easier to say, oh, you know, the, the the publishers won't hire me because I'm conservative. The publishers won't hire me because I voted for Trump. Ultimately, publishers don't give a shit who you voted for. No, they, they care about money. <laughs> Um, so, so, you know, the, the whole, you know, I'm a conservative, so I'm not getting hired aspect is, you know, is really just a, a boondoggle to make a group of people feel better because they're not good enough to get the work. Exactly. You know, it's, or... it's, a lot easier, it's a lot easier to say, oh, I, I'm, I'm blacklisted from being, from being published in comics than to look in the mirror and go, well, maybe my work's not good enough. Exactly. And then also, um, a lot of those guys at Comics who are, who are are very vocal, um, they have to come to terms with the fact that unlike you, Ron, your style has evolved for, for each 
for each new generation of editors and things that they're looking for when maybe their styles haven't evolved because if a person writes the same way they did in 92 and it's in 2019 now they probably won't get a job either well look it's it's you know being a uh being a freelance guy um or girl obviously um Mm -hmm. but just being a freelance person there's you know there's rejection there's disappointments that's that's just the way it goes um and um you 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 fall in and out of favor. You fall in and out of touch with with the new editorial staff. Um, it takes work to um, to stay in touch with the editorial staff at you know any number of publishers, not just um, not just Marvel and DC, but but uh, everywhere around the industry. It's it's work. It's a it's a social. Um, it's a social business. You see each other at conventions. Right. You introduce yourself to the new assistant editor because in two years that assistant editor is going to be a full editor and we'll be hiring people. Um, exactly. Right. It's it's um, the networking is a huge part of of being a freelancer. Um, if you're not going to network, if you're not going to be engaged and be around people, you you get left behind. You get forgotten because you know, there's 10 people for every job. There's 20 or 30 or 40 people for every job in comics. Uh, and the ones that, uh, the, the ones that are squeaky wheels are the ones that get paid the most attention to. Um, mm-hmm. if you're just going to sit back and wait for the phone to ring or wait for the, wait for an email to show up. Um, you're not going to get that many gigs. That's just not the way it works anymore. Yeah. And, um, uh, I guess I'll call one person by name only because, they're the main purveyor of comics gate and they kind of shit it on themselves because uh ethan so he got blacklisted for marvel because of that new x-men sex issue so he cut out half of the big two 10 years ago no probably 15 years ago so then he, he so that's half his that's more than half his problem right there so now like uh with dc he has to try extra hard to say in their good graces, make sure he gets work. And somehow he fucked it up too. So now he's trying to be now like sort of comics gate to kind of be his excuse of why shit isn't going this way anymore. Well, you know, um, not one of my favorite people and I'll leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> For sure. If, you know, if, uh, great artist in terms of his actual output, in terms of his actual, uh, inside the comic books, he, he's great. Um, well, I I wouldn't agree with that either, but that's <laughs> okay, a separate, that's a, that's a separate discussion. Um, but uh, you know, uh, it's 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 an unfortunate blight on the business that we have. Um, yeah. And uh, if they just want to make their own comics and be left alone, which I believe is what they are constantly uh, crying about, like yeah. uh, you know, like prepubescent teenagers. Uh, just leave us alone. Um, that would be fine, but obviously there's a lot more to it than leave us alone. We just want to make comics. There's the you know there's the there's the the grief, the anxiety, the the um, the uh, the targeting the targeting of various people. Um, I you know I find it rep- I find their online behavior reprehensible. Um, if you just go want to make comics, shut your yap and go make comics. Nobody cares. Exactly. Um, so we'll end on more of an uplifting note. Uh, so besides your stuff from Ominous and, and your Kickstarter, this, um, it has two more weeks to go, people, because this episode is probably out, coming out today or tomorrow. Um, what else are you working on right now? Uh, let's see. Still doing Turok for Dynamite. Um uh, I've got, uh, uh, I've got, hmm, I'm, I'm actually starting on something brand new, uh, shortly, but I can't say what it is. Um, I just finished, uh, a graphic novel script for the European market and there'll be some more going on there. Uh, there's some more creator own stuff coming. Um, so there's a bunch of irons in the fire, but I can't actually say what a number of them are right now. Um, so and there's you know there's other odds and ends that are that are coming out. Um, I you know I never I never wonder what to do when I get up in the morning, which is a very nice, <laughs> uh, 
which is a very nice aspect to have. Um, and I'm, uh, I, I understand that I'm incredibly fortunate to be in that position after being in the business a bunch of years. Um, so, you know, I'm writing a bunch of stuff. I'm the editor in chief at Ominous Press. Uh, Ominous Press is sort of uh, transforming into Creation Inc., which we're doing some some other some other projects, including some film projects. Okay. So there's a lot going on. We should probably talk again in three months, and I can tell you more about it. For sure. You know, I mean, we are always done to have a chat with you because you are our first returning interview. Well, good deal. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a habitual offender then. <laughs> yes, for sure. And uh, also, I think that because uh, uh, last week I spoke with uh, one of your old coworkers, uh, Jeff Johnson, and I would love to see you guys do something else in the future. Oh man, I love Jeff's stuff. Jeff's got a Jeff's got a pinup in Harkins Raiders hardcover when that comes out. Nice. Um, nice it's nice. really, really pretty great. But yeah, Jeff was one of my favorite people and one of my favorite artists. So um, anytime Jeff's got time in his schedule, I'm I'm happy to fill it. Yeah, um, he's doing a book with James Ro- with James Robinson and Image that's coming out hopefully this year. But after that, I want to see you guys get back together and do something cool. Sold. I'm, I'll sign for that right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll pass it on to him. But um, okay, uh, Ron. Um, that's all the questions I have for you. Is there anything else that you want to say? No, I think we're good. Uh, just uh, you know, I'd like it to cool down to about you know seventy five or so. That would be that would be just about right. That is the perfect weather. Seventy five. It's, it's never be above or under seventy five. Seventy five and a little breezy. That's yes. you know, that, That's basically <laughs> what San Diego at least used to be. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, all right, Ron. Um, hopefully, we'll talk to you in about three months when you have like more books to announce. But uh, thank you again for coming on and being our first return guest. Sounds good, man. It's always a pleasure. All right, thank you so much. All right, all right. Bye.
Hey, man, how you doing? Pretty good, man. How about you, Ryan? Uh, kind of tired because I just <laughs> played played golf this morning, but otherwise, not too bad. <laughs> and nothing wrong with that. Um, what is weather like out there? Because it's, it's hot as fuck here. It's too damn hot. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know. Mid eighties, humid. I'm I'm not enjoying it. Yeah, it was eighty seven here at like nine forty two. Nope, don't like that at all. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's fucking crazy. But um, is is just gonna be me today? Uh, Brian couldn't get off work, so it's just gonna be a one on one interview. No worries. Happy to do it. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said in, in the emails. Um, like we'll probably keep it pretty short and sweet because I'm sure in this um, Kickstarter season you got a lot going on. It's probably like 20 to 30 minutes. Um, whatever, you, whatever you want to do is fine by me. Okay. Um, are there any points that you want to hit uh, that you can think of? Um, no, nah, just you know, mention the Kickstarter. Other than that, uh, um, yeah, I got nothing. I got nothing in particular in mind. So whatever, wherever you want to go, I'm happy to follow. Okay, all right. Sounds good. Um, all right, so uh we will go ahead and get started. So this is Evan